windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Under Mosquera, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game right. winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. Winner. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, and that is how you open a show in a bump I could get used to as opposed to pros versus Jays. Just throwing it out there. For me. Well, you get one, I get one. It's a give and take here. I know this is your show and I'm just a sidekick, but I still, in order to keep coming back, quite honestly, I'm going to have to do something to make myself happy. Yeah, I like that. That's fair. That's fair. All right, well, we got to hear a big Wednesday. Not only are we going to hear from uh, head coach Randy Sanders from the press conference on Monday, we will talk in the third segment to Mike Beavers, the play-by-play man for the Shorter Hawks, about the upcoming matchup Saturday. Then we'll do top 25 and then a special second segment. Yeah, I'm heading over to the football stadium. This is a live, semi-live, uh, on-location remote segment with Kobe Kelly, ETSU football uh, former receiver from last year, of course. He spent four years with the Bucks. was part of the massive turnaround in getting ETSU to the playoffs in just their fourth year of having football back. The last time that we saw him, of course, was not such a fun occasion because he was being hauled off to the hospital with a very, very serious leg injury, and he's going to talk with us all about that. He's been kind of around doing a little bit of a media tour just to kind of be back on the scene and um, to connect with fans again and let everyone know life does go on after uh, such a difficult and horrific-looking injury like that. And quite honestly, uh, he was doing some things during the interview while we were walking over to uh, where we were going to sit that that I couldn't do. Um, I know walking just sounds normal, but there were fences that were very tall that I could not get over. He was stepping right over them. I was using doors while he was uh, walking um, very, very normally, more normally than me, and I've never had a leg injury. Uh, so, so, about that. so what you're saying is Kobe Kelly's more athletic than you. Well, I said that during the interview, and even when walking, he's more athletic. Walking isn't necessarily an athletic thing, but you can picture both of us walking I mean, it is for side. me. Have you seen me walk? Well, right. Uh, that's fair. That's true, yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing uh, about Kobe is he's going to be the Buccaneer great. You know, every game there's, there's three people that are identified. There's a former Buccaneer. Mm-hmm. There's – um, someone that's affiliated with the university, and then they'll have a, a veteran or somebody get the the American flag, the state flag, and the in the ETSU flag. And so you had the American flag was I, that I got last the, year. Yeah. yeah, I got the American flag last year as a, as a veteran. So that that's a special thing. They only do, you know, three per game, and then they get not just an ETSU hat, but the hat is actually branded uh, with the state flag and the American flag mm. on the side. That's only special to the people who get to do that. That's cool. So I've had people ask me like, "Hey, where'd you get that hat? How do I get that?" And I you got to be I, a great I, I, bottom line. Well, I should have said it that way. I should have said it that way, but that's not how I said it. So we'll uh, looking forward to that. That segment to Colby Kelly. So we'll we'll uh, hear your conversation with him again. Mike Beavers, top twenty five. But Randy Sanders Monday is normal. The press conference holiday or not, he was working. Yeah, there were lots of things that were discussed, but focusing on one issue today. And if we're going to focus on one issue, obviously, I think you're in agreement. It has to be the quarterback situation going into Saturday. He wasn't able to participate in. in practice yesterday of course we don't practice today we'll i'm sure it'll be a day-by-day thing hopefully he'll be able to get back because at worst he gives us another able body at the position uh and we need all the able bodies we can get that's chance thrasher who he is discussing and of course when you look at the timeline he's talking from monday so no practice monday monday's always the off day for the players so they can make sure to get back in the classroom take care of their business in that way and uh, get the day off a week that the ncaa mandates and then yesterday they did have practice saw them out there uh didn't stop and take too close of a look uh, to see if chance thrasher was participating or not my guess would be uh, probably not but I'm just speculating there. We'll learn more today. Um, So Chance Thrasher, of course, the starting quarterback going into last week, picked up the injury, looked to be, from what 
I could tell from the replays a head or neck injury, um, and that's always very dicey when you're talking about timetables. So Chance Thrasher, Cam Lewis, you know, a variety of others that may see time. Trey Mitchell was very good on Saturday. Still kind of unsure about what's going to be the look for ETSU at the quarterback position come Saturday. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I, I would assume Trey Mitchell, and I, I usually go over on Thursday, and today being Wednesday, but usually Thursday gives me a, a good opportunity, number one, to see some of the things that they're working on offensive and defensively, uh, just so I, I have a little bit of an idea to try to, um, and you'll love this, articulate uh, what ETSU is trying to do. And, and then we also, uh, Thursday morning, usually I get with the coaches, offense, defense coordinator, Billy Taylor, Mike Rader. So I talk to them, then I go watch practice, and I kind of say, okay, this is what they've told me, you know, sort of in confidence. Now I'm seeing it. Now I'll be able to, to be a little bit prepared. And, of course, there's a lot of things that we get access to that we, we don't talk about because sometimes they work on things that – um, they're not able to break out that game. So if we talk about it early, and then I know they're concerned. I, I am positive there are zero coaching staffs in the Southern Conference listening to us, but I know that every coach in the country feels like the opposing coaching staffs would have inf- information. So there's a lot of things don't get to see. But Thursday is the telling day. So Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes I go over there, Sue's in and out. Really Thursday, because if you're not out there Thursday, generally speaking, you don't play Saturday because it's too hard to get game plans, some other things in. So I think Thursday will be a big day to, to figure out. And also, it'll be interesting to watch Thursday. Is Trey Mitchell getting every single one of the one snaps, or are they working in uh, Cam Lewis? Do they even let uh, the freshman Tyler Rydell get a couple? Because I, I'm in the belief if you can get Mitchell a good first half, maybe three quarters, and then after that try to get some guys some snaps, some experience, because you just never know. Knowing that Shorter has lost to Sanford 66 to nine and Chattanooga 66 to nothing over the last three years, and also took some losses against teams like Gardner Webb 42 to 14 a couple years back. ETSU of course beat Gardner Webb 45 to nothing last year. I would think that many would see a possibility, an option to be out there just to see what they have. I don't think that a lot around the program, and certainly they wouldn't say this, but I don't think a lot around the program were expecting the kind of performance that Trey Mitchell was able to deliver on Saturday. So if he's able to do that, why not give a couple other guys chances too? But we continue with Coach Sanders on the quarterback topic. You're a guy that's played 40 games or something like that. If you miss Wednesday practice, it might not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, for the most part, if you're a young guy, if you're a new guy, you, you, you need to be on the practice field. It's not, it's not necessarily a measuring stick, but unless you're truly an experienced guy doing your job, it's hard to really be ready to play and play well if you're not practicing. It is, it is, these guys aren't NFL veterans. They're, they're college guys, so they, they need reps. So that's to your point about practice. If he's not going to be out there Thursday, Chance Thrasher isn't the guy that's been around this system. He isn't the guy that's as familiar with Coach Sanders. Maybe someone Coach Sanders isn't quite as comfortable with sending out there with only, gosh, if you would do a run-through on Friday, one day. Uh, he just hasn't had that much time with the program, so – And I'd even say, in a little bit of a sense, this is probably a bad comparison, but I'm thinking back on quarterbacks. I'm sure Randy Sanders would tell you that Austin Herrick needed to practice as much as he could, right or wrong. And Randy Sanders just likes to treat Austin that way. But Jamal Couch is a guy that maybe on pure physical athleticism can go out and bully some guys around. Uh, Now, he hasn't been with the program very long either, but say he had been with ETSU for a couple of seasons, clearly has shown that he is head and shoulders above the competition. Then, okay, do you need to practice all the time? Eh, Maybe not. Maybe it's a better thing, actually, if you sit out for a practice or two just to stay fresh. But with a guy like Trey Mitchell, uh, someone that is certainly um, been in the system. For a guy like Chance Thrasher, who has not been in the system as long, he will need those reps. Well, I, let's use a better example. Please and, do. And not Please that, do. not that was that was a, a bad example, yeah. but Nasir Player. If, if Nasir Player yes. needs, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then he strolls out there on Thursday, well, he's pl- he has played 40-some games, or right? Or Dylan Weigel. Uh, Dylan year, Weigel yeah. would, would be able to do it. And, you know, and there are a few other guys. The other thing is – quarterback's just different too I think you know uh, you can get a wide receiver and get probably D lineman you can get you know that that at least they're working on uh, you know the game plan mentally and again we're still speculating they have not released what the injury was to Chance Thrasher so again if you're talking about if it was head or neck related and there's some things there can he mentally prepare you know, without being on the field before that. What has he got clear for? What can he do? What does he understand? But I, I think the point taken is if Austin Herrick was Randy Sanders' quarterback 
for the four years, and he needed, you know, Sunday through Wednesday off to, to get right and come back Thursday and go through the Thursday-Friday sort of walkthroughs, uh, you know, finalize the game plan Thursday, walk through Friday, play Saturday. I think you could probably get away with that. Last year being the first year in the system and all that, right. probably not going to let Austin Herring do that. But I think Randy Sanders would let Austin Herring if he would have been the quarterback for three or four years. You know, certainly he had Peyton Manning. And if Peyton Manning, you know, senior year needed a couple days off, there's nobody. So I, 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 the same thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I think there there are situations where he would. I think Randy's point in that particular uh, comment that Coach Sanders is just saying, look, none of our guys have a good enough feel that they can miss up until Thursday. And the reason I say Thursday is because the first snap Thursday you'll know. Obviously, Coach said Wednesday, but I think basically if they didn't play Wednesday, then Thursday for me – I know who takes that first snap. That's pretty much what what's going on on Thursday. They're not they're not trying to throw a monkey wrench at you. And certainly with an opponent like Shorter, if it's anything with a neck or something that's sensitive with the head, now you're not going to get cleared if you do have a concussion and don't pass that protocol. So that's out of the question immediately if you're not cleared. But something with a neck, you want to be very careful with as well. So if you have an opponent like Shorter, where this is on the schedule as a money game for Shorter after ETSU collected a paycheck from Appalachian State, you'd think that he'd be held out uh, and give Trey Mitchell a chance to see if he can, because the quarterback position was a little bit wide open coming in, maybe he does play well again, generates a little bit of controversy. Maybe Cam Lewis gets his feet under him a little bit at quarterback as well. Well, final one from Coach Sanders. Trey done enough to be the number two guy going into the game, and I don't think he did anything Saturday to change the, the depth chart at that point. Just because somebody's number one or number two today doesn't mean they're going to be number one or number two tomorrow. Every every, And that's not just at quarterback. That's at every position. Uh, I, I believe in competition. I want best players on the field. I want uh, whoever gives us the best chance to win. And if, you know, Saturday that was Trey, and if it's uh, Trey again this Saturday, so be it. Quay Holmes and Tyree Robinson were also at the press conference, and Coach Sanders, I cut out this portion, but he said, you know, these guys are on the corner. They don't have a good day of practice, or they start slacking at all, they're going to lose their spot too. And Tyree Robinson is an AP All-American from last year. Quay Holmes, preseason All-American. So obviously Coach Sanders, maybe a little bit of that hyperbole. I'm sure he gives Quay Holmes and Tyree Robinson a bit of a longer leash than a guy like Trey Mitchell, but the point being that if you're not up to standard in his program, there will be consequences. Yeah, I, I think it just says basically if, if you sh- if you show up to work but don't put in the work, right. then we'll find somebody that will. And I think a great example of that was Quan Harrison last year. I mean, when Quan was on the field, he was able to create plays, and then all of a sudden you, you didn't see Quan anymore, and it was basically like he, he didn't he – didn't, show up i mean coach said that several times i'm not i'm not knocking quan harris i'm not doing i'm not doing anything that coach sanders hasn't said publicly was when quan figures it out he'll be out on the field and so uh I, I think that's a great example because that was a guy that you know taking a pump back for a touchdown he's had a receiving touchdown i mean he'd made plays for you and coach sanders is saying you're not bigger than the team we need you to come to practice and do the things we ask to do all the time, not just on game day. So I think it's clear to see. Um, you know, I think he said so much about some of the receivers this year. Like, hey, when those guys show up, earn the first spot, they'll get the first spot. I think you asked him the question directly in the last week's press conference. So I think Coach Sanders is is do you have some guys have some more leash? I'm sure they do, but I'm sure if they showed up and didn't do what they're supposed to do for a couple weeks in a row, I think he'd play somebody else uh, with ease. Before I go over to the football stadium, I've heard about Kobe Kelly, that he's had multiple surgeries and he may still have another surgery yet to come. So I'm interested to hear how he's doing in terms of his recovery. And some people have said there's still some nerve issues there. And he'll talk with us about that as well as just what it's meant to be a buck, what he's doing now in football, if anything. Uh, Really fun conversation coming up. That's the quarterback situation for ETSU football. And I think this week it's just a little bit different in terms of preparing for a shorter who's lost 39 games in a row, three consecutive winless seasons and that we don't probably need to break down as many of the X's and O's and those top level topics and have a wide diverse area of talking points so that's why we kind of focused on the quarterback situation let me ask you this yeah did, sure. did you uh did you ask Kobe Kelly did you know he actually broke his hand earlier in the game no I did not I, I like that. to always ask him I said yeah you know I heard you recover stuff how's the hand <laughs> and I always never ask him about the leg so he enjoys that because he knew that I knew that and so everybody's always as you can imagine more concerned about what could have been a life-threatening issue 
uh, for uh, Colby Kelly. And then it was the same thing that Alex Smith has had and Joe Theismann. Yeah. You have to have surgery pretty quickly because there, there could be some damage. So anyways, I look forward to hearing yeah, the Yeah, thank you for giving me that information. What would have been important. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's very right. nice. That's, yeah. Why, that's, that's why you're the sidekick. You're timely. Kick. That's yeah. why you're the sidekick. You're very timely. Well, you All should right. do the damn interview, though. Kobe Kelly, not being asked about his hand after this time out from Santos and Sidekick. Come on, Air Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more. Santos and the sidekick back for segment two on this Wednesday. Kobe Kelly has stopped by to join us with the football stadium on remote. This is a on location type feature. We don't get out of the studio much, so very happy on this sunny Wednesday to be out and about. And Kobe, very happy to see you up and about. Tell us about the last, boy, six, seven, eight months. Uh, obviously, the last time we saw you on the field, it was a gruesome leg injury. Uh, firstly, have you gone back and looked at that injury at all? And secondly, how are you doing now? Uh, I'm doing well. I, I got the injury on my phone, so I, you know, I can watch it at my own disposal. <laughs> Do you um, watch it often? I would probably not want to watch it very often. I've probably watched it a good hundred sometimes. Wow. Yeah, I've watched it several times, and even when I was in the hospital, I went back and watched the game and, mm-hmm. and just saw the play and how it worked out. And so it didn't. It doesn't really bother me to watch it. Um, but I've been doing well. You know, the the process for recovery was was long, and you know, it's still kind of ongoing. I still got some nerve damage and stuff like that, but. But it's not that big of a deal at this point. I, I can do a lot of you know daily activities, run. I can jump now. I can jog around and, and stuff like that. But just going back to being in the hospital, learning how to walk again, stuff like that was definitely an obstacle that I had to overcome. And uh, but you know it all happens for a reason, and I'm happy to be here. So when you go back and look at the injury and you think back on that play, what do you feel? How does it unfold in your mind when you think about it mentally about how everything happened on the field? Did you feel the leg break? Did you know a big hit was coming? What exactly was in your mind at that moment? It's probably one of the most freaky injuries you know you'll ever see. I basically just got leg whipped. Uh, it split my leg in half, but I definitely felt pain pretty pretty instantly. But it subsided. Body kind of took over, released some endorphins, a lot of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it it definitely hurt initially, and then you know when they reset my leg on the field, it hurt. But other than that, uh, I was just kind of along for the ride there, and. And, you know, it, it was what it was. Does it bring back any particular memories about the game or your career now that you've moved on from ETSC football? I got memories all the time, and I got memories for days from this place. Uh, you know, I always look back and, and will forever be thankful for my time here and, and, and uh, you know, the coaches that I've had and um, the way they've shaped my life as a man. And, and you know, I have, I have no regrets. There's never a good time for an injury like that, right? But late in a playoff game, you know, you were in there pretty much, you know, till the end, as obviously as long as you could. And, I mean, obviously there wasn't a lot of football to be played after you went down with that injury. Of course, it wasn't the way you wanted to end your career. It wasn't the way the Bucks wanted to end the season. But when you harken back to that game and the timing of the injury, you really got to play an entire magical season and round out your career uh, with something that will never be forgotten at ETSU. I mean, it's such an incredible incredible turnaround to go from Absolutely. starting football in 2015 to 2018 making the playoffs at that time with teammates the season with teammates and um, you just think back on that year as a whole uh, has it really set in and have you really thought about you know what it's meant to the university absolutely man we were we were a special group of teammates a lot of us were together for all four years um, you know we were we were really close we always fought till the end you know that was seen when when we came back two or three times here at home in the season right. uh, to win the game so you know it was incredible. It was. It truly was magical, as you said. And uh, I'll forever be thankful for all the guys. You know, I'll, I've made lifelong friends here that that I'll never forget. And and uh, you know, I still room with with the fullback from last year, Hayden. Yeah. And, and you know, there's just there was guys on that team that that truly will will be at my wedding or be in my wedding someday. Right. So so I'll always be grateful for that. Sitting here at the football stadium, you know, and seeing this. Your group, you know, the people that you were with looking around here, I mean, this was a construction site for a number of years, and you're playing at a high school for uh, the first two years of the program, and you got to see everything evolve um, and really grow from the birth and and the uh, restart of football. So when you see this stadium and you look around on the field, off the field, we're up by the press box, uh, what do you think about? And we got a lot to be thankful for. Um, there was a lot of people that, that went into putting this whole thing together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it truly started with Coach, Coach Torbush and, and, and Scott Carter and Doc Sanders, you know, 
had a vision. Dr. Nolan had a vision for this this program, and mm-hmm. and to see it all, you know, come together and and us being able to actually go out and do it was was really neat. Uh, just being here from the beginning and. And like I said, being around the guys that I was with for four years here, it was it was truly incredible to experience all that with them. And, and I mean, we got just got so many people to thank for, for the opportunity to play here. It's, it's incredible. You mentioned Coach Torbush, and now you can speak freely about the program from the outside since you're no longer in it. you got to compare Coach Torbush and Coach Sanders to me. I mean, they seem like kind of polar opposite guys, obviously both very good football coaches and bring a ton of knowledge to the table. But your experience with Coach Torbush versus Coach Sanders, uh, pluses, minuses, differences, similarities. A lot of different coaching style, you know. I enjoyed Coach Torbush. He was he was a super defensive guy. Uh, you know, I really really enjoyed our time with him and and the way we got to grow as as a group with him. And then Coach Sanders comes in and, and the coaching style was was different. You know, he was an offensive guy. He you know gets after you just like Coach Torbush did. Uh, but you know, coaching styles are a little different everywhere you go. And and I'll, I'll forever be grateful for both both of them. So what are you doing now? Are you still around football in general? Are you still around the area? Do you want to get back into some kind of football capacity if you're not in one right now? Are you doing the corporate life? What's going on? That's a, That's been one of the tougher tougher things I've had to battle with over the last several months. Um, I've applied to physician assistant school, hoping to get into there. I'm working as a pharmacy technician. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with the team in the spring as a student assistant just while I was you know, recovering and stuff like that. And I, I wanted to be out here with the guys and and for a while, I wanted to be a coach. Yeah. Um, but there was just a lot of things that, you know, happened, came to my mind. And um, I tried. I decided to step away from the team for a while and just try to figure things out for myself. And, you know, maybe something crazy could happen. I could end up back out there helping coach one day. Or, you know, maybe it's just time for me to move on. I'm not sure where my, where my, what my future holds. But, but I'm excited for, for whatever God has in store for me. You've got a pretty incredible story. It can be very motivational for a lot of people. So to step back into that, do you think it would be something where you do it on the side in addition to a pharmacy technician already? I mean, certainly you've got a nice career already carved out and a good path to uh, making some good money, helping a lot of people you know, um, stay healthy and uh, change their lives, essentially. So uh, there's a lot that can be done there. But it, it almost seems like a story like yours to be able to change some lives with your words, with your experiences on the football field as well. Um, do you think lend itself to like some motivational speaking some coaching of youth you know people as they're forming into adults something along those lines absolutely you know, I've, I've spoken to a middle school team that um, won their championship already uh, I was blessed to be able to do that I got to get up there and, and talk for about 20 minutes to them uh, my coach was cousin was a coach of their team so that was pretty cool uh, but I would be absolutely open to sharing my story with anyone who wants to hear it. you know I'm not I'm not the kind of guy to parade around my story and and, right. and, and show it off necessarily um, but at the same time, anyone who, who asks me, I'm more than willing to tell them my story and, and would love to use it as a, I don't know, I guess an example of how to bounce back from things and, and I guess try to model yourself in a way. So being around the team so much in the spring, and of course the Bucks are coming off a 42-7 loss to a very good Appalachian State side, but seeing the guys on the field, the talent on the field, so many people have said, oh, this is the most talented team since football has been back, and a lot of people have backed that up. Do you agree with that, and how strange is it to see you know, the people that came in and started this program no longer be with the program, but some still be involved to have this ultra-talented playoff team that's looking to continue to build on this legacy that you and the others have left. Yeah, I love it, man. This, you know, like other people have said, and like you just said, it's probably the most talented team ETSU has had since, you know, they've been back. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of new guys that, you know, they may still be learning how to gel together. Mm-hmm. And uh, But w- once, you know, everybody truly comes together, they'll be a really special team, and, and I'm sure they've all got a lot of fight in them. So, right. so it's, it's really exciting to watch. And, and, you know, they didn't quit against App, which was, which was really cool to see. Let me tell you, we're happy to see you up and about. We're happy to see you doing well. I know you said you got a little more ways to go in terms of the recovery, but just to see you walking around. It, you climbed a fence right just before we came out here, and I was like, I'm going to take the door. You already look more athletic than me already. Not that I was much of an athlete ever to begin with, but it's great to talk to you and great to see you around campus. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Kobe Kelly, graduate last year from ETSU, four-year member of the football program. I'm Mike Gallagher on Santos and the Sidekick. Back with more on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold, Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly.
Sandos and his sidekick back with you. Third segment on this Wednesday. And as we always try to do on Wednesdays, we try to talk to the opposing team's play-by-play broadcaster. And we're so lucky to be joined by Mike Beavers, the play-by-play man for Shorter University. And, uh, Mike, first of all, thank you for taking the time. And how is it in Rome, Georgia today? Well, thank you, Jay and Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. And, uh, well, it's warm and humid, and that's about it. Uh, that's what we do from about uh, the middle of May until sometime in October. <laughs> the temperature may be 90 degrees, and the humidity is about 85%, it feels like. So that that's that's the rule of thumb here in Georgia. <laughs> well, th- th- I was telling uh, Mike a little bit earlier that I do know a little bit about uh, Shorter just for the simple reason that uh, our, our late women's basketball coach, uh, Karen Kemp, was a two-time All-American at Barry, and she used to talk about uh, her hate for shorters. I'm sure you can appreciate. And then she would <laughs> right. always seem to like watch the streaming game of, of that as technology went along. And I, so, no matter how she, uh, you, you know, years removed as a player, it just seemed like that Barry shorter rivalry. And now I know I think I think Barry's still lower division. Shorter stepped up to division two, but certainly, apparently, that is a huge rivalry from where you're from. Oh, that's for sure. You know, a town uh, the size of Rome, about 30,000 folks, and having two schools that back in the day, as folks would say, had uh, two NAIA schools that were both very strong and competitive, and they would get together, and it was kind of like the town would shut down. Uh, but as things have evolved, uh, Shorter ended up in Division Two, Barry ended up in Division Three, and uh, so they don't cross paths as much anymore. I think the people community in the community might like it, but uh, that's just something that kind of slipped away from us, I guess you would say. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about what is right in front of us, and that's the game coming up Saturday. Shorter did not play last weekend, where ETSU uh, did play at Appalachian State, so the Bucks maybe had a chance to work out some of those first-game jitters. But Shorter played a lot, it seems like, a lot of young guys last year. What can you expect to see from this year's squad? Uh, more young guys. Uh, Shorter last year had somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 freshmen on campus. Uh my line was, and I don't know if it was a popular line or not, but it was a 13th grade football team because so many of those freshmen were seeing action right out of high school. Uh, there's another 60 or so freshmen on campus this year. So when you're looking at the roster, there are maybe 18 starters back combined on each side of the ball. But when you go back and look at that 18, probably 12 of them are true sophomores, I guess you would say. And so it is still a very, very young football team. Mike, this is also Mike. Thanks for joining us. I counted 135 total on the roster, only seven of those seniors. But I'm just impressed that Coach Morrison has gone out and drawn in those kind of numbers, 135 to a team that has struggled so mightily on the field, losing 39 in a row. Talk to us about how he has done that, the attitude he brings to recruiting, bringing players in, and just getting those kind of numbers to a program that is trying to develop that winning culture. Well, first and foremost, Coach Morrison is just a first-class individual, and you just spending five minutes with him, and you just uh, you are wrapped up in in what he is saying right there. Uh, we just met basically one day and did our first pregame show, and it went 25 minutes last year just because he was that engaging and that much of a joy to be around. And maybe most importantly, though, this is his team. He was on the first shorter football team back in the uh, I think early 2000s when they started it. So. This is his school, and it's kind of like the old adage about mama calling, and uh, it means so much to him to be there, and he has such a love for the Hawks football program and the school in general because it's what gave him his start into coaching, and he just you just know he bleeds shorter blue. You mentioned with Jay the NAIA level and the transition away from that to Division Two. This program had some success at NAIA. What has been the difficulty in moving to Division Two? Is it just the level of play? The Gulf South is a very, very good Division Two conference, Valdosta State and West Georgia and things of the like. Is it just the level of play, or are there other factors that have made the winning on the field a bit more difficult? Well, I would say first and foremost, the Gulf South Conference. I mean, I grew up in Jacksonville, Alabama, and that's when the Gamecocks of Jacksonville State and the Troy Trojans, North Alabama, they were dominating it. And you even look in recent years, uh, Valdosta won it last year. West Florida played for the title the year before, uh, the national title, I mean. And then North Alabama played for it the year before that. And it's just, it's it's the SEC light is what it amounts to. We've kind of always said that growing up in the neighborhood and whatever and it doesn't matter what sport it is. There's great rivalries, great competition, and Shorter is, the, I'm sure, the smallest school in the conference, an enrollment around 1,100 or so, and you've got uh, West Georgia, Valdosta, they're in five figures in their enrollment, and so that makes a lot of difference in it as well. 
and they're so established, those programs are. They've, they've had such a track record, whereas Shorter was building something in NAI, then they had to start over in Division Two, and it just takes time to get your footing. Mike Beavers join us, the play-by-play voice of the Shorter Hawks, coming in this Saturday, 7.30 kickoff, 6 o'clock pregame show coverage on the Buccaneer Sports Network. And, Mike, let me ask you this, just for our fans, uh, what, what style of offense can they expect to see from Shorter? Well, it'll be a spread-looking offense. Uh, Tyler Pullen, the quarterback, he's back for his senior year, a four-year starter. He owns every passing record Shorter has ever invented. Now, that being said, they were a triple option uh, team before he got there under Phil Jones, the head coach emeritus. But uh, when uh, Aaron Kelton and his staff came in after Coach Jones retired, they transitioned to a spread offense. And that's still more or less the angle there. There's a pretty good group of wide receivers. Uh, the running game has struggled a little bit the last couple of years with um, the offensive line changing. But they've got three offensive linemen back who started pretty much every game last year. The defense is uh, – the, the ones go very well, and this has kind of always been the mark of shorter football. The ones do very well out on the field, and then depth issues start creeping up about the third quarter or so. The defense has struggled through the recent years. But uh, uh, Nehemiah Reddish, who is a local product from Rome, he is somebody who is uh, he's been a all preseason so- selection for the Gulf South Conference the last couple of years. And number 21 is somebody you really want to keep your eyes on. I think that's uh, one thing that's interesting when you look at the the roster and the two deep, you know, besides some offensive guys, and those are mainly quarterback and receiver, uh, there's a few defensive guys that are upperclassmen. Other than that, there's a steady stream of sophomores and freshmen on this two deep, and it's almost like the trial, I guess, trial by baptism last year and hoping, uh, as I'm sure maybe, and I don't want to say sacrifice the season last year. I'm sure that was not the case. You try to win every single game, but certainly there was some building that hopefully that the fruits of those labors would pay off at some point this year. And that's it. It's just growing up and maturing. I mean, uh, the five guys on the offensive line had never taken a snap together last year, and that's always going to be a problem for any team at any level. The defensive line, there's a little more experience back there. And uh, and as, as you mentioned, there were some bright spots last year. I mean, the Valdosta game down there on a Saturday night, that was a 10 nothing game at halftime, and Valdosta hadn't scored an offensive touchdown in the game. It was a pick six and a field goal was a score. So the team is – you know, it was beginning to believe at that point. You look around and say, hey, we've got Valdosta on the ropes. Now, it, the final score didn't show that, but, you know, it's little, it's step by step. In fact, that's Coach uh, Morrison's mantra, brick by brick, build the wall brick by brick. And that's what they're working for. Mike, this program, Shorter, that comes in on Saturday to William B. Green Jr. Stadium, has faced a couple of Southern Conference sides in the last couple of years, Sanford and Chattanooga, so certainly familiar with this level of football and some teams that ETSU is also familiar with. How does Coach Morrison approach a game like this? What does he preach to his players coming in? It's really just find out who we are against some of the best competition you can find. Uh, Stanford last year, I think, was number 10 in the nation at that time and had a great quarterback. Uh, you guys are coming off what a co-conference championship, I believe, and uh, then Chattanooga was in the same situation. And it, it's a chance to find out who you are on a on a big stage or a bigger stage than what you're accustomed to, and you know find out where you are and where you get ready. And 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 these kinds of games are always great to get ready for the Gulf South Conference play because it is such a uh, just uh, just a battle each week when you go in uh, through the Gulf South Conference. Mike Beavers, we appreciate uh, your time today. Certainly, we hope you a safe travel up to Johnson City. You'll have a nice uh, press box for you. I've already given you the particulars of that. But uh, I think you'll enjoy the, the stadium just in its third season in existence. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the hospitality with you having me on today and look forward to officially meeting you guys and shaking your hands on Saturday. All right, that's Mike Beavers for the Shorter Hawks play-by-play, man. That'll do it for that segment. When we come back, it's a look at the stats. FCS Top 25 right after this time. Out your word from Sanderson Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster.
Because of just the nature of the beast of the first couple games, you're playing some FBS teams. There were some major upsets. There were comebacks. They're really uh, all over the map. Let's go. Keep in mind, we went four weeks without a poll. That's part of it, too, I think. The preseason one was released on the 5th of August. So not only do teams have a game under their belt, there also could have been staffing-type changes, player news, injuries, etc. But all in all, it didn't change things that much at the top. But you get below that, and there were uh, quite the amount of shuffling agenda items on the top 25. Stats FCS. NDSU still number one, easy for the Bison in their first contest. 57-10 to over Butler. Trey Lance, 10 of 11, 185, four scores, plus five rushes, 116 yards, and two touchdowns. That was played at Target Field, the Minnesota Twins home field, second ever college football game there. 35,000 showed up to watch NDSU and Butler, but North Dakota State took it easily. There's a lot of Bison fans up there. James Madison, I had West Virginia on upset alert with JMU coming to town. Didn't put it in bold predictions, which I'm happy about now, but it almost came to fruition. 20-13, to 13, the final. The Mountaineers outrushed 172-34 to 34 by JMU. Doesn't bode well for them going forward. They trailed at halftime, right? Didn't JMU lead at halftime? I believe they did. I think it was a 10-3 or 10-7 game at halftime. I've been 10-7. It was, yeah. yeah. Obviously, it was a 10-7. A game pretty close the entire way. South Dakota State, a tight loss for the Jackrabbits. Minnesota needed a touchdown late to squeak by SDSU. Second consecutive time the Gophers have beaten their semi-big brother, uh, or should I say semi-little brother, by just one score. Eastern Washington, fourth in the Stats FCS poll. Not able to keep it as close with Washington as JMU or SDSU did with their Power 5 opponents. 47-14. The Huskies never in doubt with that victory over Eastern Washington. And the top five stays the same. UC Davis, number five. NDSU, JMU, SDSU, Eastern Washington, and the Aggies. UC Davis gave a scare to Cal, up 10-0 after one, and tied at 13 with less than 20 minutes to go. But the Golden Bears scored the final 14 for a 27-13 win. The loss not really hurting UC Davis in any way, including their ranking. Nice to be able to keep it close with a University of California. But the top five, the same this week, and some Power 5 opponents that were shaking in their cleats, at least for a bit, Jay Sandoz. Yeah, and I think that's uh, – it's hard to say early in the year. The one thing I'm interested in, because it seemed like some teams were punished for their FBS loss and some were not. If you it were was at, strange. If you were at the top, you were not punished. Uh, and granted, uh, uh, most of the teams at the top hung hung in there, right? And it was it was a good showing. So I, I'm, I'm all for that. And, and it's always tough. To do that, it's tough to figure out. Well, where do we penalize this? But it was interesting to see where teams did get punished for those. But I thought when you talk about the level that we play at FCS, I thought a lot of those teams that were given an opportunity to shine against FBS for the most part uh, did FCS football well. There's some numbers that are pro and con that take, and we'll get to those in a second. Main number six. This is where some of the shuffling starts. Up one spot, 42 first half points over. Wait for it. Logan Marchie and Sacred Heart, 42-14. to 14. The You love I found that and sent that to for you, For Marchie and Sacred Heart. I should cite my source. That was you. And I said, what's SHU? I, I did not know. That was it, my It's response. in New York, by the way. I, I've heard of Sacred Heart. I think they're uh, D1 in basketball. I can't remember what conference, mm-hmm. the MEAC or uh, the NEC or, or something. But uh, Maine, a 42-14 to 14 win over Marchie. And so, Sacred Heart, 12 of 29 for 104 yards for Archie. No scores. That's not exactly a great stat line. No, no, it, it is not. And, uh, you know, again, he got there kind of late. And um, Stony Brook, I believe, is in the same uh, – not Stony – well, yeah, Stony Brook. Stony Brook, I believe, is in the same league in – when you're talking about Division One basketball and baseball was Sacred Heart, I want to say. So um, I'll have to double-check that. So I want to say Joe Panucci is very familiar with them. But um, – Sacred Heart is a, is a school. There's also a high school that's uh, pretty prominent and uh, ah the NEC has, pu- has yes. pumped out a bunch of folks that could. Uh, uh, I want to say, eh, I'll get back to that later. Uh, I I knew there was a, I knew they had some high school guys that went to a Sacred Heart high school that have produced some major talent, but 
We'll talk about that a little later. Bryant, Central Connecticut State, Fairleigh Dickinson, LIU, which I believe is formerly LIU Brooklyn. It is. Merrimack College. I did not know Merrimack was in there. Mount St. Mary's, Robert Morris, Sacred Heart, St. Francis College, also St. Francis University. Yeah, not to be confused. And Wagner College. Oh, that's a good thing that's not confusing at all. Weber State, number seven in the poll, also up one spot by virtue of Jacksonville State falling uh, for uh, the Wildcats to be able to move up. The weirdest game of the weekend, perhaps, for me and Weber State, a 6 nothing loss to FBS San Diego State. 392 combined yards between the teams, 19 combined first downs, as well as 19 combined punts, 8 of 35 combined on third down. So that game, not exactly a miracle, a statue of excellence for football. Won't be enshrined outside of the College Football Hall of Fame uh, or any football Hall of Fame. Could even be the Middle School Hall of Fame. I'm not sure that it would happen, but <laughs> 6 nothing the final in favor of San Diego State. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's an ugly score. Well, let me say this. I thought there was rain or it was shortened or something. Right, something no, weird no, no. Hey, no. When, when the leading rusher for either team has 55 yards... That's a rough day. And it, the leading rusher, and that was for the Aztecs, uh, 55 yards. Weaver State's leading rusher had 14. And both starting quarterbacks combined, combined for 217 yards passing. Yeah. That's yeah. not good. 392 combined That's yards. That's not good. Oh, okay. Not good. Your favorite team, the Towson Tigers, climbing three spots. This is the game we briefly talked about Monday. A Shane Simpson touchdown run for Towson with 87 seconds left. Turns a loss into a win after Raleigh Webb puts Citadel up one with 331 to go. Towson snatches it back and moves up three spots to number eight in the Stats FCS poll. Number nine, Kennesaw State up one notch. Our best friends down at KSU. They had a cream puff to start the year. Point University of the NAIA. 59 to nothing the win and some early stat padding. Not that they would ever do that. Nichols rounds out the top 10. Up two tallies are the Colonels, if only by virtue of a couple of teams dropping. Nichols, a 49 to 14 loss to Kansas State. This is what you were talking about. You're up two spots when you lose by 35 to Kansas State, who's, you know, an okay program. They're better than Kansas, but 35 point loss. Well, but the, the big thing, right? It was the, uh, the debut. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Kansas State took North Dakota State's head coach. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Kleiman. Kleiman, thank yeah. you. Chris, right? Chris Kleiman? Yes. So I think the FCS voters wanting to show love to Chris Kleiman give the extra. That's Conspiracy only, theory. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no way. All right, all right. If, if they hung <laughs> tough, they hung tough, fine, give it to you. But they didn't. So I don't know. Uh, okay. Number 11, UNI, and this is probably the biggest rise you'll see from a school that loses a game in any poll anywhere. Northern Iowa up seven places after going to triple overtime with FBS number 21, Iowa State. They managed to get there running the ball 31 times for 34 yards. Don't often see that, but their defense was stout, gave up just 13 regulation points before the Cyclones scored a touchdown in the third OT to the Panthers. Now that I can go with, right? I can go with them going up spaces sure seven i think is a lot when you lose but the fact that iowa state was ranked number 21 and your defense did as well how about 1.1 yards per carry on 31 carries they didn't give up on the run they were running the ball the entire game 1.1 yards per carry and you still take them down you gotta keep people honest (laughs) is that that keeping anyone honest i'm not sure if that's doing the job (laughs) southeast missouri state number 12 launching up the rankings along with uni five total spots a pretty dominating win over southern illinois who are picked ninth of 10 in the powerful missouri valley up 37 to 14 at one time where Southeast Missouri State, they are number 12. Number 13, Montana State up one spot. Certainly would have been a game Montana State would have liked to be more competitive in. Instead, they lose on the road to Texas Tech 45 to 10. Of course, a pretty difficult task and would have been upset just to be involved in the contest uh, would Montana State. Teams would have looked at that and said, wow, that's impressive. Keep it to one or two scores. But again, a team moving up when they lose by 35. Indiana State, the Sycamores up two spots. Not like Kansas ever has had much to offer on the football field, but a win for the Sycamores still would have caused a stir, and they gave it a go, actually taking the lead with less than five minutes to go, but the Jayhawks scored with 2.20 left and got the two to make the final 24-17. Number 15, North Carolina A&T, up five spots. Noel Ruiz, and this was probably the game of the weekend for me if you rule out that uh, Northern Iowa game, a 52-yarder for 
Noel Ruiz at the horn against Elon gave A&T a season opening win in what you'd probably call at least one of the more evenly matched all FCS matchups. Well, yeah, and, and the truth is Elon's been a, uh, in the Colonial, used to be in the Southern Conference uh, with ETSU for a while, and of course after ETSU, and then made the, the trip to the CAA, which actually opened the door for ETSU uh, to get back into the Southern Conference, but... They've been a ranked team for a while, playoff team for a while. North Carolina A&T would have been a playoff team if they would not have won and had to go to the Heritage Bowl, uh, which I've complained about that for many years. Many I will years. not on this one. But at, to me, that was a matchup I wanted to see if North Carolina A&T, who had that great year last year, is going to be able to build on that. To me, they are. And they get an opportunity to maybe uh, trip up an ACC foe this week in Duke. Uh, and just curious to see how the Dukies in the same town – with North Carolina A&T. They're both uh, in Durham and curious to see how the Crosstown rival maybe goes for A&T. It might be a little more juiced up for that game, I assume, than the Dukies will be. And Duke stayed with Alabama for that first quarter or so of the contest when they played the Crimson Tide in week one, eventually a 42-3 to win for the Crimson Tide. Number 16, Illinois State. Down one spot. They did their best to pull the upset on Northern Illinois, who were in the MAC championship game last year, but fell short 24-10. to Still not a bad opening result, at least for Illinois State's defense. Furman. Up two spots, and I'd say an impressive opening weekend result for the Paladins. I don't think much of the Big South, as you know, but Charleston Southern projected third in that conference, and it was a blowout, 46-13, to 13, the Paladins running away with the first contest of the year. Well, most people aren't concerned about Furman in this first contest. They want to see what happens this week because they go to Georgia State, who uh, just saying that name, I don't think most Tennessee fans know who that is right now. So, uh, and, and there are some FCS writers that have already been calling for the upset. Uh, of Furman over Georgia State. Number one, Georgia State probably alert that. Still, well, I'm not, not, alert that. It's, not, it's not my hot take, but, yes, it is a hot take. And I think that the theory is Georgia State still riding a high and uh, maybe not preparing for Furman. Furman not, still runs a little three back. It's a little uh, untraditional as opposed to what you've seen out of Citadel and Wofford over the years. But certainly Furman has enough speed uh, to kind of make this game interesting, if not a, an upset uh, that would make the Southern Conference better in the SEC. Go. BYU, Tennessee, who wins this week? BYU. <laughs> number 17, Furman, followed by number 18, Jacksonville State. A 12-spot tumble after going to southeastern Louisiana and never really being in the game. Down 14 nothing after 1, 28-7 after 3. They dominated time of possession, outgained the host by nearly 100 yards, and Zarek Cooper threw for 414 of those yards. But two picks by Cooper, one going back for six helped seal the J-State fate. Wofford, down 10 spots, a poor, poor result for the Terriers. You pointed it out to me that Wofford didn't run triple option until their last drive when they were down 28-6 to against South Carolina State, predicted sixth in the MEAC, 28-13 to the final. Josh Conklin, a head-scratching decision in that first contest. I, there, there's not enough time in the day for me to talk about Not only about the show, that. but the day, right? I, I, there's not, because it, it actually... It helped ETSU last year, but it was driving me crazy that he kept trying to force the pass in which Wofford could have almost ran the game out against ETSU. So he he wants to get away from the triple option. I get it. You want to do whatever. But then he says in the Spartanburg Times afterwards the fact that, well, you know, the guys we got in there aren't really suited for that. Well, then why are you doing it? Like, recruit guys for that, and when those guys are ready, do that. But you make Joe Newman and Miller Mosley throw the ball, and, and they throw four picks. You make them throw 20. There's not – you could go a whole season sometimes and Walford may not throw 23 passes, right? And then he says, well, you know, we got back to what we knew there at the end and got us a touchdown. I'm like, well, all right, so you go triple option to last. Shocker, you go down the field and score. So I know there's no Andrew Stoddard and some of those guys that were – in, in there that normally would be running the traditional triple option, but they still have the pieces. They're still there. I think Mike Ayers had a pretty good formula, and sometimes I think this is coaches getting in their own way. It's almost like last week Appalachian State was convinced they need to throw, 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 and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, we've ran the ball for 30 years. Maybe we'll go back to that. And then it kind of helped put some distance between ETSU and Appalachian State. So I realize that Coach Drinkwitz and, and Coach Conklin are outstanding uh, coordinators where they came from and are feeling their way through the head coaching ranks. But sometimes I'm like, all I have to do is keep the ship in the right direction, you know, and either slowly do it, but there's not enough time. I'm livid about that. <laughs> the other thing that makes me mad about it is the league took some bad losses. And when you're talking about trying to get multiple teams in, I talked about this on Monday, you take some bad losses. I mean, South Carolina State was sixth in the MEAC. 
in the preseason poll. It, it's you, yeah. you, you can't and 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 you're running out of time to make statements in non-conference games. I mean, I hate, hate, hate to pull for Chattanooga. There's not one thing more in this world I do not want to do. And if they lose, I'm fine with it. But the league needs them to win <laughs> coming up. Speaking of Appalachian State, did you see Louisville and Notre Dame? Was Scott Satterfield making his head coaching debut for the Cardinals? I, I did. I thought, he, I thought he'd, considering he was Hung with him till half he was out, outmanned, and I thought they did some things defensively. I thought you could see some of his spin offensively. Uh, what uh, you had saw at Appalachian State, what you want to do, but I thought it was a smart game plan. But he only had one guy on the defensive side of the ball that weighed more than 255 pounds. <laughs> and eventually Notre Dame's line and everything got to him. That That's where he's going to struggle. Central Arkansas, number 20 in the Stats FCS poll this week, technically up 12 spots because they were seventh in receiving votes in the initial poll. The only team in the FCS to beat an FBS team so far in 2019, scoring 21 fourth quarter points to make the FCS 1-39 and 39 against the FBS in week 0 or 1, though 11 of those losses were by one score. So it's kind of two-sided. The coin is certainly not both heads or both tails. It's opposite ends of the spectrum in those stats. You can kind of spin it either way. Yeah, and I, I thought it was a good win uh, for Central Arkansas. And they've, Especially they've, Kentucky, so they'd be, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a program that, you know, every three, four years makes an outstanding run, gets into uh, championship games, made, you know, a conversation of some decent bowl. I don't want to say major bowl games. They're certainly not in uh, the the best of five conversation or whatever it is. Um, but uh, West Kentucky's a, a good program and a tough place usually to go play and win. So Central Arkansas, I'll give them a lot of credit. Delaware up one spot, had five players rush for 20 or more yards. Delaware State 108 penalty yards, and that gave the Blue Hens four first downs off penalty, 31-13 to 13 the final for Delaware. Montana up three spots, closing out a pretty so-so decade of football, at least compared to their dominance in the 2000s. But the first game of the final year of the decade went well for the Grizzlies, who, yes, are routinely the worst of the four Dakota schools, that being the opponent of Montana. Uh, South Dakota, a nice win on the road, 31-17, to 17, the final in favor of Montana. Number 23, Southeastern Louisiana. Shows what an inexact science polls can be, in my opinion. Weren't receiving any votes at all in the preseason poll. Were picked 8th of 11 in the Southland preseason poll until that upset of Jacksonville State that we just talked about. Villanova, for, go ahead. No, I was going to say the odd thing about that is if you looked at the, the yardage and and things like that, Sometimes stats lie because uh, – I've been told numbers never lie. Zedrick Cooper threw for 414 yards. They had almost 200 more yards of total offense to Jacksonville State over um, Southeast Louisiana. Now, I know Southeast Louisiana, I think, had a defensive touchdown. That pick and, six I talked about earlier, yeah. Yep. Uh, well, there you go. See? See? There you go. But uh, sometimes you have to have, you know, rather special teams, defense, things like that. But usually if you outgain it, a team by close to two, 250 yards, you don't lose by 21. I think that's the shocker. It, it wasn't that Southeast Louisiana was – because I, I think I was talking with Kevin Brown about this when we were talking about this game. He was like, well, they got pounded. I'm like, well, but if you look at it, I, I don't know they did. I know it ended up being 21, but it's – so, this is a game I'll probably go back and watch myself because – I'd like to see sort of what happens. But this is my argument for Jacksonville State. And I know everybody keeps talking about it's the most talented team they've had. They've got all this. It goes back to what Randy Sanders said after that game. Well, yeah, they get all these major transfers, but they don't play for Jacksonville State. They're playing for themselves. And I think this was probably a great example of that situation. Is this a classic overreaction to put Southeastern Louisiana in the poll after no votes were received in the preseason poll and they're a bottom four team in their conference according to preseason predictions? Yes, because Jack and the only reason they did is because Jacksonville State was uh, sixth, I think. Correct. Yeah, I think that's a clear overreaction. Villanova number twenty four from receiving fourteen votes, which was buried on the list of vote getters, to the number twenty four spot in the country. That comes from that upset of Colgate that all of a sudden doesn't look like as much of an upset because Colgate is 0-2 and Nova is now ranked. Though, to be fair, that second loss for Colgate was to Air Force, obviously an FBS team. And number 25, Sam Houston State plays New Mexico State right to the end in their first game of the season, but they fall two spots, and now they get Notre Dame. Good luck to Sam Houston State. My beef. Get ready for it because I am very bitter. 
ETSU, number 26 in the country in the preseason poll, and then you go on the road to Appalachian State. It's 21 to 7 with 16 minutes to go, and you end up falling technically seven spots in terms of receiving votes. You lose almost 250 votes in the poll. I, I right there with you. Uh, and again, it goes back to probably why my FBS rant was <laughs> so much today because it's confusing to see which games the FBSs were. And again, I think the Chris Kleiman. North Coast State was win national championship there. All clearly, he's going to get Kansas State win national championship. So we'll reward them for losing uh, by seventy five to them. Like I just I don't I don't get where there's some that I did get where they where they stayed. And to me to me if you play an FBS, if you play them close, to me you got a shot to maybe get some extra love. If you get beat by a good amount and the team is not a one win team. Then you should probably stay about where you are, right? You know, if if the only like if Kansas their only win this year is against an FCS, then yes, I think you should punish the FCS team because it's just not they're not that good. But I think as long as you hang with an FBS, you should just you know you could be rewarded for that. My thing was if you some teams hung. And, and kind of just stayed where they were or didn't get any love. Some got beat by 35 and got a lot of respect. Well, Montana and, State, up one didn't. spot, losing 35 to Texas Tech. I don't – Up one spot. I ETSU don't, down seven spots, I, I, losing I, by 35 I, to Appalachian State. Who's a better program, Appalachian I, State or Texas Tech? I, Appalachian State. I would think undoubtedly. If they played today, I would go App State. I get they're more of a name program, Texas It's a Tech, Big 12, I get that. I understand, but I mean – but, I mean, but that didn't even factor into some of these, too. Like, it, I mean, Kansas – but again, you hung. It was a one score. I'm fine with that. There wasn't a lot of movement there. I just didn't get, and I really think the Chris Kleinman North Dakota State factored into a lot of people's votes. The other thing is, I wonder because you know, a lot of the voting because FCS doesn't have like a true media where folks are paying attention. So you've got the coaches poll, in which I think they vote to try to protect their conferences and all that, which they do in the, you know, on the FBS too. Then you have the other poll, which is the Stats FCS, in which they've got a good mixture of some media and SIDs and everything. But I think maybe the conferences don't align themselves to help themselves with voting. And that could be it too. I think it hurts that there's not a true conglomerate of media folks that could – sort of balance that out i think the midwest to west voters saw kansas state climb and do what he did boom rewarding that team with a lot of votes i think that truly happened conspiracy not hit the button i don't care that's what i'm going with that's what i'm going with Nichols lost to kansas state by 35 up two spots i just it's a double standard Kansas State, okay, again. When we get Brian Kansas McLaughlin on, and I'm going to have him on here in a couple hammer weeks, I'm him. going to hammer him on that. Uh, and, and he's and again, he sent out a memo, I think it was last year, that there were like 60-some teams that got votes, and he told people to clean it up. Like, all right, everybody look at the ballot, see who did whatever. I'm going to start taking votes, which I appreciated, because he was like, we, we you know, there's got to be some sort of integrity in the poll. You can't just go at it with all right we're voting for everybody in our conference at least in somewhere and then we'll go back and look at it i think so. we need that talk again i'm very upset i don't know if you can tell this is about as upset it. as i get on a wednesday uh friday we're doing bold predictions we're doing perhaps sincere player yes austin herring breaking down zach morrison a little bit head coach zach morrison are you running out or are you just doing that? a pregame i was just gonna just do, gonna a pre-game. do pregame all right yeah, we'll do pregame well. pregame we will have zach morrison and uh head coach we'll figure, we'll figure something else out for friday too I'm sure we can come up with something. Four downs. Surely if we put our four downs together. Can't do four, four downs. downs. We could do four downs. Debut of four downs. So yeah. you're pretty fired up. I'm going to end the show with another guy that's fired up. This is the final Randy Sanders montage. I'm not supposed to say that. Let's go. It's big boy football. We're not playing touchy-filly, everybody be happy, you know, football anymore. Let's go. Take our offense looks future. We act like we had never seen a defensive line before. It's really an embarrassing performance. I thought I was going to have a coronary down here on the sideline on offense. Let's go. Sleep is that important? Go get some more. We'll play without you. Let's go. I'd have that goalpost thrown over my shoulder coming back up the interstate, probably naked with the thing on my shoulder. I'll carry that rail myself, 100-something pounds, but I'll put that thing under one arm and get it in the trophy case. Let's go. 
I can't wait to get home and fire up a cigar and have my dot Pepsi. Let's go. If you'd offer me six and one beginning of the season, I would probably thought I'd been drinking something other than dot Pepsis with my cigars. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm an old fat guy, and I'm sitting here fighting cramps right now. Let's go. I might smoke up at least $20 worth of cigar tonight. Let's go. I was sitting here looking at chicken wings and tater tots. 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 Let's go. You don't see guys walking around, jogging around on the practice field. Let's go. I think I got to stop those three buses somewhere and buy them an ice cream cone. We just got to find somewhere that's got a buttload of soft-serve ice cream. That's somebody else's problem. I just got to pay for it. Let's go. Well, I don't know if I want you to know where I live, but I'll be glad to meet you somewhere. Let's go. I, I don't believe I said some of those. I think y'all making them up on me now. Let's go. I really hope my wife and daughters aren't listening to this. I'm not supposed to say that, but... See ya.